Welcome to Elan Restoration Fellowship, where Jesus is King, Hamelech, Lord, Hashem, and Messiah, Mashiach. And now, Pastor and Rabbi, Billy Elias. We are now in the season of Teshuvah, which began last week. And for those who remember, Teshuvah means repentance. Um, it starts with the Hebrew month Elul, Elul 1, usually falling in August. And it ends on Yom Kippur, okay, the Day of Atonement. But if you remember, um, as I spoke, I did a podcast on Monday night. Um, well, it wasn't a podcast. It was a Facebook Live. And then I sent out the podcast link. Um, we started looking at different names for the same season. If you remember from all the times I've taught on Rosh Hashanah, um, and if you want to get no more and you're watching this, um, the link should be appearing on the live video for Rosh Hashanah, the gate to heaven are open. The gates to heaven are open. Um, it does a treatment on not only this season of Teshuvah, but the, de- the several names that Rosh Hashanah is known by. So one of the things that when we talk about the Hebraic culture and the Jewish tradition is that the same season or the same festival or the same feast days can have different names. And so I've been teaching for years about the season of Tetuva, which is the 40 days of repentance. And recently, as I was reading some of the Midrashas, I found that in Hebrew, it's called Hamelech Basadeh, which means the king is in the field. It's one of the names for this feast. The king is in the field. And if you watched um, the, or if you listened to the podcast, um, it, it gives a really good background as to what it means for the king to be in the field. Obviously, it's not only a literal king, But we know in today, it's a spiritual thing. Okay, so just as a very quick synopsis, that the king of Israel, one of the things he used to do on Elul 1, which is the first of the month that begins Teshuvah, he would leave the palace, then he would open the the kingdom gates, he would leave the palace, and he would journey out into the fields. He would journey to the fields that have been harvested, where the crops were growing, the fields that were blessed. Okay, in, in, in Genesis, when um, um, Isaac is blessing um, Jacob, you know, when he was being deceived by, uh, you know, by Jacob and by Rebecca, he says that you smell like the fields that God has blessed, and it's important. It's an important moment. In Christianity, especially because those fields, it, it, they're saying something about the fields that God has blessed. And yes, it has a lot to do with tithing, and, and that will come in later as we discover um, the favorite Melchizedek, which everybody knows as Melchizedek. Okay, but the thing here is that the king will go out to the fields and he would sit, and anybody was allowed to come out and greet him. So he would be sitting there and with no fanfare, you didn't have to change the way you dressed. 
You didn't have to change the way you spoke. You didn't have to learn all the different, you know, um, traditions at court. You were allowed to go see your king as you are. And they were allowed to go and see him as he sat in the field. And what the king would do is greet them with a smiling countenance. He literally, as they came up, would smile and greet them. Okay, because the king was representative of God. And, and, and over the next couple of weeks, as we do more of these, we're going to talk about a king named Jehoshaphat. So the point being that Jehoshaphat, what he did was he left the palace and he went into the field to find out what was going wrong in Israel. And the only way to find out was to be honest with people. And that's where the judges came from. And then God would use that to appoint judges over Israel. But at this time, when the king would come into the field, he'd smile at the people. And he'd be out there, obviously under guard. But he would be out there and anybody could come up to him. People would come from miles around. Let's not remember, we were about to go into the feast day. So the people were now journeying to Jerusalem. Okay, because Rosh Hashanah was coming and they had to be all the adult males had to be in Jerusalem at the time. So when they would come, and if they saw the king, they could go out and they could greet him. Now, here's the interesting part. When the king was out in the field and decided to go back, it was right before Rosh Hashanah, he would go through the same fields that he had crossed, and then he would go into the palace. The set, because the gates were closed. When the king wasn't there, the gates were closed. No one was allowed in or out unless they were important. As the king entered and came to Jerusalem and to his palace, the gates to his palace were opened. And as he passed in, only those who were invited by the king were allowed to go through those gates into the palace. Because when the king would go back, he would go into his throne room. Ten days later, they would close the gates. So with Rosh Hashanah, it's always taught that on Rosh Hashanah, the gates to heaven are open. And ten days later, on Yom Kippur, the gates to heaven are closed. But the, the time leading up to that was a time for the king to go into the field to be humble before the people. He was to be humble. He was to have a spirit of gentleness. He was supposed to be merciful and allow them to have contact with him. Does this sound familiar? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So Jesus, in his humility, would could do the same thing. And then we fast forward. David, the king, walking through the fields on Shabbat. And what did David do? He fed his troops. And they said, what are you doing? You can't do that. It's the Sabbath. You're not allowed to do that. The king, David, was in the fields saying basically what Jesus said. You're trying to tell me if I lose one sheep, yeah. I wouldn't leave the 99 and go search for him, whether it was Shabbat or not. Mm -hmm. It's the same concept. It was, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 14, 17 to 20. Genesis chapter 14 in a lot of translations is usually called War of the Kings. Okay, this is where we get the introduction to Malkisedek, which we all know as Melchizedek. Yeah. 
But we're going to take it in a different spin. Melchizedek, whenever it's referred to in Christendom, we refer to him in two ways, right? My king of righteousness, because of what Paul writes. And then we refer to him as, oh, look, he's the king of Jerusalem. It's, and many people would say, oh, look, it's the first communion, mm-hmm. right? That's what they'll say, although communion is not a Hebrew word. It's kind of a made-up thing. It really is. Um, but it's the time when he actually broke bread and gave thanks, which is a feature of the Passover Seder, okay? But when we come to this, we're going to take a little bit different approach Because you're going to find that Melchizedek and this entire part has everything to do with what we're talking about, and that is the king is in the field. Okay, so Genesis chapter 14, 17 through 20. After his return from slaughtering Gedorla Gedorla Omer and the kings with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet with him in Shavu Valley, also known as the King's Valley. Melchizedek, king of Shalem, Bought out bread and wine. He was the priest or the Kohen of El Elyon, the God Most High. So he blessed him with these words. Blessed be Abraham or blessed be Abram by El Elyon, by the God Most High, who is the creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be El Elyon, the God Most High, who handed your enemies over to you. Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now let's understand what's happening here. Number one, it says that Melchizedek met Abram in the fields. You see that after Abram won this huge battle to rescue his nephew Lot, which we're going to talk about, he came back to the valley and were in the fields. So the very valley today that he went to is field. That's what they are. They're fields of pastures. And it says that he didn't go to Melchizedek. It said that Melchizedek came to him. This is the, the, this is the biblical reason for why they call the time of repentance the king is in the field. Because Melchizedek came out to Abram. And he didn't come out to be worshipped. He came out to serve. You see... He came out with the bread and he came out with the wine to help Abraham because he knew he just won a huge victory. So Melchizedek meets Abram in the fields. And then second, we find that Melchizedek does what? He blesses Abraham, not only by giving him food, but he says that I am the God most high and I am the priest of the God most high. So what he actually does now is give a priestly blessing on Abraham as El Elyon. And then he says, blessed are you, Abraham, by the creator of heaven and earth. And blessed is the creator of heaven and earth because he handed over the enemies to you. And what does it say? And then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. This is the foundation of tithing. Now, one of the things, and it gets a little bit deeper, because why, why, didn't, why would Melchizedek, who we know is the king of, of what eventually would be known as Jerusalem, okay, Shalom, um, or Salem, whatever you want to call it, whatever your translation calls it, is Jerusalem, okay, because Shalom, with the voil pounding, becomes Shalom, 
spelled the same way. So he's the king of peace. And Yerushalayim is the peace of peace. That's what it means in Hebrew. So this is the king in Jerusalem. This is the king, the priest most high. Just showed up, has no beginning. But when I look at this and I can't help but think, and it'll all come together later, where did he come from? He came from the Temple Mount. What would later become the Temple Mount? And we're going to discuss this. We're going to find what this relationship with Melchizedek and Abraham is. Okay? So why did we find out, why would, will, would, why would this king, so why would this king of righteousness come down and meet Abram? So one of the things that we, we know is that if we look at this, Abram found out that his estranged nephew, Lot, had been captured in, 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 in I, I want to say Sodom, but it might be Gomorrah, but it was one of those. So when he found out, without hesitation, what does he do? He goes out and he takes, I think it's 318 of his top special forces. Okay, we're talking, you know, MARSOC, Marine Special Operations Command. Okay, because he's not sending the army. He's going to send in the Marines first. Marine, so he sends 318 of his top MARSOC operatives okay. to go and get Lot back. Not only did he go to get Lot, he went to go get Lot's family and all of Lot's possessions that were taken. Now, if you guys remember, when Abram and Lot came to a certain point, Lot looked over and saw Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abram said, you know what? So that we're not in contention with each other because our, our shepherds are fighting, and you're claiming this, and you want to claim that. And God said to Abram, let him choose. So Abram said, you know, I don't want to have issues with you. You choose. And he looked at Sodom and Gomorrah and he chose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he went. And we know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. And we know what happens when Abram went in and said, oh, Lord, if there be 10, yeah. 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, mm-hmm. one righteous man, yeah. please save my son. And then they went into the city. Remember, and the people and the men of of Sodom and the men of Gomorrah said, give us those angels so that we can have, so that we can sodomize them. But they're estranged. He knows what's happening. But yet when he hears it, what did he do? He put his anger, he put everything aside, and he went to go get his nephew. Because you see, during this time, it's a time of repentance. It's a time to forgive those who've offended us. It's a time to forgive those who've wronged us, who've hurt us, family members, people in the church. You know, I remember there used to be a book that was out called Crucified by Christians. (laughs) Right? So it's the truth. It's a time to forgive. So this season, when the king comes into the field, he's going to do that with an expectation that he's going to beat you where you're at, but there's going to be forgiveness and there's going to be true repentance. So now Abraham goes and he rescues Lot. In Genesis chapter 14, verses 14 to 16, it says, When Abram heard that his relatives had been taken captive, he let out his trained men born in his house, Numbering 318, ooh, I was right, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. 
Then he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. He brought back all the possessions and also brought back his relative lot with his possessions and also the women and the other people. Understand what happened. He brought back the possessions of the, the, the army that had captured yeah. Lot. Right. He brought them all back. With 318 specially trained Marsoc Marines, he went in and he routed them. Yeah. And he confused them. And he sent them into chaos and he made out with all of the, all of the spoils. But not only that, he was able to, to, to rescue Lot and his tribe, yeah. his family okay. and their possessions. Yeah. Okay. So understand that here we have Abram winning the spoils of war, winning back his nephew and he won his nephew's fortune and his entire clan. Okay, and it also says, and also the women and the other people. So not only did he get back Lot, his wives, the women, um, maidservants, they all came back and the other people. You see, he set slaves free. Yeah, amen. That's right. He not only set the slaves free from the host army, but he also brought back the slaves for Lot. Yeah. But he set the captives free. Understand what's happening here. Mm -hmm. So then Melchizedek goes out and meets them because he comes back with this massive army. And, it, and, and so when Melchizedek comes back, he says to him, don't forget, it was El Elyon, Hashem Elyon, that gave them into your hand, which is 318 men. We're talking about probably an army, and I don't know, so don't quote me, between twenty and 30,000. That's about the traveling army sizes, wow. right? Some of them say that some of these armies go over 100,000, wow. right? I mean, but, you know, when you look at World War II and you look at Russia, over a million Russians were killed. A million Russian soldiers wow. were killed fighting Hitler off. A million. So this is the kind of popular, I mean, this is, this is warfare. And then... So we have this great story, right? And so when Abram comes face to face with Melchizedek, now you understand why he gave him a tenth. Because it was not only a tenth of all the possessions, he gave him a tenth of all the slaves that were set free so that those slaves can go live in peace with Melchizedek in Jerusalem, which is the city of peace. That he gave them 10%? Well, he gave them 10% of everything he got. So 10% of all the slaves, 10% of all the captives that were set free. Because he was like, look, you need to go with him. This goes deeper than it's about tithing. It's about taking a 10%. This is about turning over captives to the king. So we're going to fast forward to Genesis chapter 22, verse 4. Because I, 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 we wanted to know where, where did Melchizedek come from? We know that Melchizedek in Hebrew means my name, my king of righteousness. We know he shows up and then he's gone. He's mentioned in one verse. Nobody knows where he came. Nobody knows where he came from. Yeah. And then Paul mentions him that he is the king of, of Salem or Shalom, the king of peace, which we know is Jerusalem. 
Genesis chapter 22, verse 4. It's the famous Genesis chapter 22 that pastors in Christendom, it's like the most preached on because of the similarities between Abraham and Isaac and Jesus and Hashem himself, right? It, the similarities go crazy, and I'm not going to even touch those. Mm -hmm. Because in this chapter, Genesis 22, Abraham takes Isaac up to what we know as Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, it's the place where my light comes from Hashem. Moriah, that's what it means. My light comes from God. So Abraham takes Isaac up to this place. This is this also the same mountain that Jesus was crucified on. And it's called Golgotha, the place of the skull in Greek. But on the third day in Genesis 22, 4, on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abram has now come to the place of Moriah and he's sitting at the, the base of the mountain, which we know today as the garden of Gethsemane. Okay, so what happens? What was at Gethsemane at the time? Fields. Because it was the place of the olive press. The olive press. Mm -hmm. But there were fields there. Mm -hmm. Abraham took Isaac to Mount Moriah to be sacrificed. Yeah. And then what happens? Hashem speaks to Abraham yeah. through the angel of the Lord at the foot of the mountain and then at the top of the mountain. So God is communicating with Abraham through the angel of the Lord. <clears throat> then Hashem blessed Abraham for his faith and obedience. So, what we have here now is they come to this place of Gethsemane where the fields are. Remember, the king is in the field. What happens? God meets Abraham in the field and he speaks to him and says, now take him up to this mountain. And then when Abraham takes Isaac up into the mountain, off to the, right? He goes up and he said, after the third day, I'm going to come back down. But what is he about to do? He's about to, he's about to sacrifice Isaac. And he was about to kill him when the angel of the Lord spoke to him through God and says, don't do it. I can't do it. Right? What's his name? I can't do it. Don't do it. Right? He says, don't do it. God had met him in the fields and then on that mountaintop. So the king was in the field telling Abraham what to do now the question is now we have Moriah and we know it's about the place where Jesus was crucified right, right, right. we're all in agreement <clears throat> but I don't know if everybody really knew that Mount Moriah also is the place of the Temple Mount that's where the temple was built in Jerusalem so where is the field where God meets us see because now we're at a point where we know what's happening with Abraham, Abraham's on a mountain, but he had met the fields below Moriah, which we know is Gethsemane. But we also know it's biblical. Obviously, you can search it out. Moriah is also the place of the Temple Mount. So where is the field that God meets us? He meets us spiritually at the Temple Mount. You see, in Hebrew, it's um, Har Habayit. Har Habayit, Har meaning mountain, Habayit, the mountain of the covenant. The mountain of the covenant. When Melchizedek came 
to Abram and they broke bread and drank wine, what did they do? They sealed a covenant. They made a covenant with each other. So Melchizedek blesses him and says, you're blessed by the God most high. And then Abram turns around and says, for that blessing is my 10th. We've just established a covenant because we broke bread and we drank wine and we never hear about Melchizedek again, the king of righteousness. But I believe in my heart that where did he come from? He came from Jerusalem because we know he's called the king of Jerusalem, the king of Shalom. Well, where would his temple be? On the Temple Mount, on Mount Moriah. So when I or when when Abraham goes there later with Isaac, Hashem speaks to him and says, "Don't do it." But because of your obedience and your faith, you will be what blessed. And what did Abraham build on Mount Moriah? An altar. He built an altar where he was going to sacrifice Isaac, but it became an altar unto God. Abraham was influenced by Melchizedek. Something happened when he met with Melchizedek because he was Abram and then he later became Abraham. Because Abraham calls these fields where the king was, right? I mean, we know where Melchizedek met Abraham, and then he later brought Isaac. He calls them these fields. He calls them the mountain. That's where Abraham met, right? At the mountain. So let's talk about the field for a minute. Isaac calls Moriah a field. Genesis 24, 63. Now, as you're going to Genesis 24, 63, let's understand what's happening in Moriah at this moment. The same region, Gethsemane, Moriah, the fields, the mountain, Genesis chapter 24, verse 63, records when Isaac first lays eyes on Rebekah. We prayed earlier, one of the Jewish blessings is, may you be like Sarah and Rebekah, like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. Sarah and Rebekah, Sarah was Abraham's wife, Rebecca is Isaac's wife. Jacob had Rachel, but he also had the rest, most of the boys from Leah. So they, one leads to the other, who leads to the 12 tribes. So when you pray a blessing about may you be like Sarah and Rebecca, let's remember, Sarah was a prophet. So the blessing of the prophetess should be on you. Rebecca, let's read about Genesis chapter 24, verse 63, because what happens is Isaac sees Rebecca. He falls in love with her. He takes her back to, and it even says, he takes her back to Sarah's tent and he consummates the marriage with her. If we go to Genesis 24, 60, we find in scripture, it says, and they blessed Rebecca and said to her, may you, our sister, become thousands of 10,000s and may your descendants, I love this, possess the gate of those who hate them. This gate keeps popping up, right? We're introduced to this gate because when the king left Jerusalem to go into the field to meet the people, what happened to the gate? The gate was what? Closed after he left. But when he was coming back, the gate was opened but only those who the king invited 
could pass through the gate. And then after 10 days, the gate would be closed for Yom Kippur because it was a time where the temple, everything was going on in Israel. No one would be allowed in there because no work. It's a Shabbat. It's a day of holy rest. And on the day of Shabbat, the temple gates are closed. No one's allowed to be doing anything, especially on Yom Kippur. So the prayer went that may Rebecca possess the gate of those who hate them. Why is that so important? Because only the gates of those, only those invited can pass through the gate. Those who hate God, those who hate Hashem, those who refuse Him, they can't pass in the gates. The gates are slammed in their face and they're sent right. They're, they're sent right to, to Satan and to the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, they're sent to the, the, the Ben Hinnom, the Valley of Hinnom, Gehenna. I mean, in Christendom, they call it hell. But you see, you got to understand, she now possesses the gates. And anybody who is blessed by El Elyon, the great God, the most powerful God, those who confess him before men, God will conf Jesus will confess before his Father in heaven. Those who have confessed Jesus as the Messiah, those who have confessed him, they've asked forgiveness, they've repented of their sins, will be invited through the gates because they will become the bride. What is Isaac doing at that moment but taking Rebekah as his bride? You see, so Abraham knows it as a mountain. Because on that mountain, Abraham found great favor because of his obedience. And he built an altar. Isaac knows it. We're talking about the Temple Mount. As the fields, because in those fields, Isaac saw Rebekah, took, took her into Sarah's tent and consummated. You see this now. You follow. There's a lot going on in those fields. There's a lot going on in those fields. Which is why the Jews teach and the rabbis and sages for thousands of years would teach the king is in the field. Now you know where it's coming from. And why this, this, this time of teshuva, this time of repentance is called the king is in the field. Because the king wants you to come out. But see, the thing is, when the king went to the field, he sat down. He didn't seek. He, you had to come to him now. He made his countenance shine upon anybody that came with a smile. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance, his smile upon you and give you shalom, give you peace. So when we have the ironic benediction, we see how it now goes back to Melchizedek. We see how it goes and correlates with, with Mount Moriah. Right, where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac, where Jesus was later crucified, and it is also the place of the Temple Mount. Hmm. So you see, Abraham knew it as a mountain. Wow. Jacob knows it as a field, or, or Isaac. Now we come to our good friend Yaakov, mm -hmm. Jacob. So it says, Scripture in Genesis, Genesis chapter 28, verse 17, we find something interesting about this man, Yaakov, Jacob. If you remember, as he's journeying, he comes to the fields of Moriah, yeah. Mount Moriah, 
and he has his dream, which is often called Jacob's Ladder. Genesis 28, 17, he has this dream. He sees Hashem. He sees Jesus, right? He does. He sees the Father. He sees Hashem. And all these angels going up and down the ladder. When he's awakened in Genesis 20, 18, what does it say? And he was afraid. Not afraid as in trembling fear. He was what we would call hared, fear as in the Herodim, those who fear God. In other words, he was in awe of what he just saw. So much in awe that he would drop to his face and the rocks that he used as a pillow, he would now build them into an altar to commemorate Hashem. That was the eighth altar, right? That he built so, right. So Genesis 8, 28, 17, read it. It says, and he was afraid and said, I love this. How awesome is this place? Yeah, yeah. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the what? The the gate of heaven. Wow. Wow. So where was he? Where was he? So we want to know why was Mount Moriah? This is also Mount Moriah. This is Mount Moriah. Why was Mount Moriah the place of the temple mount? Why? Because it is the gate. Not only that, it is the house of God. What Jacob did on that moment is to drive the exclamation point in because Abram had been to Moriah on the mountain, right. built him an altar. Yeah. Isaac was in the fields, found Rebekah, his wife, who was given the gates of heaven, gates, the gates against the enemy. And now Jacob on Moriah at the Temple Mount itself says, I have just been in awe of God and saw this amazing thing. So I'm going to build an altar here for you and call this the house of God. That's why the Temple Mount is situated on Mount Moriah. It's because he calls it the house of God. So let's understand this. This is fantastic because Abraham knew the king in the field because he met him in Gethsemane and then met him again on the Temple Mount because he knew God in a different way than Isaac did because he knew God through promises and through being spoken to through the angel of the Lord. He knew the blessing that were brought on him because of obedience and because of his righteousness. So he knew it as a mountain. Everybody here has had the mountain experience. I will lift up my eyes. Where will I look? I will look to the mountain from which my salvation comes. When you have a salvation experience, your eyes are looking to the mountains. You see, your eyes are looking to see what's coming down the mountain. When we have that come to Jesus moment, that's exactly what's happening. So that's how Abraham knew him. Isaac knew God, knew Hashem as the field because that's where he found his wife and he consummated. When we finally have that final consummation, when we are called, when God comes into the great Rosh Hashanah, the sounding of the trumpet, when he says, now I'm coming for the coronation of the king and the wedding Supper of the great lamb to his bride. And who's his bride? We are. What did he do? He possesses the gates of his enemies, but he also possesses the gates to open so the bride to come through. 
So when Isaac saw her, saw this, he refers to it as the fields because it was a place of his love. It was a place of consummation. It was a place where he found his bride. And he took her back to his mother's tent, Sarah's tent, which is where the temple is designed around. So when you go into the temple, it's a place of consummation. It's a place of prayer. It's a place, a place of sacrifice, not only of an animal or whatever it is needs to be sacrificed, but of prayer and incense. It's a place where the Holy of Holies is, is where we now have that consummation, don't we? We have that relationship, that marital relationship in our hearts, in our own Holy of Holies. That's the relationship that Isaac knew with Hashem when he came to the fields. The relationship that Jacob has. So when Jacob has this vision and he wakes up, he said, this is going to be God's house and it is going to be the place of the gate to heaven. Jacob now declares before the tabernacle was built that this is going to be the place of the resting place of the great tabernacle, the tent of meeting that God has Moses build and it's going to settle here. Later, David begins the plans. Solomon builds it. The glory comes down on the temple mount because that is the very place that Jacob said, this is where it's going to be. Wow. See this? Everything took place there. Everything happened on Mount Moriah, which is why when the Jews call it, and here's the important part, when the Jews call this, when the king is in the field and they refer to this, it's because what's happening in the temple leading up to Yom Kippur. The next 10 days, it's a time to figure out are we in God's will? Is God going to bless us? Have we repented properly? Are we forgiven? Have we forgiven everybody else? Right? So understand the significance here. The season is all about the Messiah coming and wanting us to come to him. So during this season, just like Abraham did, Abraham had to sacrifice, didn't he? And he was willing to. Isaac, he found his wife. But in that woman was given the gate, the keys to the gate of the enemies. Jacob built a, a altar and said, this is the place. Because when God greets him, what does he say? I am the God of Abraham. And I am the God of, well, I am the God of your father, Abraham. And I am the God of your father, Isaac. So when Jacob heard that and saw all of that, this is where God's house is, which is why that's where the temple is. Pastor Billy will continue his message in just a moment. If you would like more information about sermon series, books, and other study materials, you can call us at 732-314-1956. Or you can email us at elanrestoration at gmail.com. You can visit us on Facebook for Shabbat and service times. And now we conclude today's message with Rabbi Billy. That's, that's when Jesus is coming back. And that's when Jesus is going to rule and reign from the temple on, on Mount Zion and in, in, in Mount Moriah in heaven. Or, Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. 
And as always, may the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom peace. In the precious name of Jesus, our glorious Messiah, we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Billy Elias. Pastor Billy is the founder and pastor of Elon Restoration Fellowship in Toms River, New Jersey. Join us again as Pastor Billy bridges the gap between the Old and New Covenants. And as always, may the Lord bless you with peace. Yeah,